0: Dear listeners, I'm proud to tell you that this episode of the Leading Steep podcast is sponsored by The Ready State. Stay with me for a short message at the break for a special offer and free trial to access the virtual mobility coach at thereadystate.com. If you are looking to become a better leader in the outdoor adventure world, in the business world, or both, this is the Leading Steep podcast. I'm Barry Cruz. In this podcast, I'm speaking with some of the leaders and adventure guides I admire most from around the world. I'll try and ask them the same questions you would, and I hope they'll share stories and practical ideas that we can all use to become better leaders. Welcome to the Leading Steep podcast. Let's just imagine for a moment that after years of hard work, that little vision you had, that little startup you bootstrapped and poured your soul into, turns unicorn. The bills are no longer a problem, and if we're honest, money is a fiat, nearly limitless resource. But one thing's not. Time. It's just about the only absolutely finite, genuinely priceless thing there is. But at least you can now afford to make the best of it. The chance to travel, to adventure with your family. Just you and your people. No hassles, no lines, never late for anything. And assuming you're serious with pandemic protocols, without practical constraints on where you can go or what you can do, you call Carrie Gray of Gray & Co. Carrie was an adventure guide and business leader herself for years for Butterfield & Robinson until she left in 2009 and founded her own adventure venture. Now she produces vacation experiences for the uber-wealthy. Now, you might find some distaste in this given some really necessary conversations happening right now about inequity and inequality, and I can appreciate that. Say what you will though, believe it or not, I've met a half dozen billionaires and even guided two myself. And honestly, five out of six of them were simply down to earth, compassionate, really good people. You wouldn't have known these people were seriously wealthy unless you already had. I'll never share any names, but I want you to conjure Tom Steyer or Mackenzie Scott, both of whom are doing great things for the greater good. Gray & Co. represents a fascinating cross-section of the adventure travel industry we don't often get to see. Forbes Magazine said no active travel company is better suited for these times than Gray & Co, an elite luxury specialist that has never had any group or scheduled departures at all and does nothing but bespoke single-party private trips. In this conversation, Carrie's not gonna share many names either, but she will pull back the curtain a bit. What I really hope you'll listen for though are two things. One, the guides who work for this firm are some of the most skilled and experienced anywhere. And two is the fact that Carrie is a cycling guide made good. She's earned everything she's got. This is Carrie Gray on the Leading Steep podcast. Carrie, I am so thrilled to meet you and so thrilled to get to know you. I hate to name drop here, but Richard Bangs referred me to you and said that you were pretty special as a guide and as a business owner in your own right. So thank you so much for being with me today.
1: This is such a great privilege, and I can't wait to tell more.
0: Well, I've told you a little bit about the project, and the key thing for me is to interview and get the chance to meet world-famous, renowned guides and folks who own companies like yours. So I'd love to hear, first of all, about your background, Carrie, and how you became a guide originally, and then secondarily to hear more about your company, Gray & Co.
1: Well, when I was a, let's see, 16, I guess, I went over to... Europe and did a French program with a company called Butterfield & Robinson. I am Canadian and they're based out of Toronto. And I ended up in Nice, France, having a great time. Truth be told, I already spoke French, but my parents still agreed to send me over there. And I had a wonderful experience with Butterfield & Robinson and I knew that they did great trips, biking trips across Europe for students. And this would be back in 1984, 85. So I was very blessed to have experienced Butterfield and Robinson as a student. But then I relentlessly applied to be a bike guide, even though growing up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, I don't think I'd biked any further than to the park and back. And and I finally got the call that they would interview me. And I remember being extremely nervous and going to meet this amazing woman named Nicholas Speakman, who was responsible for hiring all the Butterfield and Robinson guides, who I still think is an absolute genius because thanks to her, I have an amazing posse of friends around the world. She had a real special talent of picking out the right people that would be guides around the world for Butterfield and Robinson, which at the time was and still is a leading company in terms of biking and hiking trips around the world.
0: So one of the things that I'd like to say is that guiding changed my life, and it certainly sounds like it puts you on an entirely different trajectory as well, from law school to to international guiding.
1: Yeah, I was 22 years old, and I had a co-guide and usually 24 Americans from around the country. We had one van, no cell phones, a huge wad of cash, which we had complete discretion over, thousands and thousands of dollars because this was really the heyday in 1990, which was my first year. And we were told to execute a great trip. They'd give us three days in advance to go over the region. We'd drive around like crazy, and and then people would arrive, and they'd follow their paper route notes on a little treasure hunt. And at the end of the day, it was a great chateau and a bathtub. And we always primed people that if they got lost, they were really lucky, because those were the times when they had really amazing cultural Cultural insights, i.e., the farmer's barn that you hid in when you were raining or something. But that was our our positive spin of the fact that it was next to impossible to keep track of that many people. But it all worked.
0: I love your perspective on this actually. I tell young people, young friends all the time two things about traveling. Number one is that if you're going to marry somebody or you're going to be really close to them, you need to travel with them. This is a great microcosm of what the rest of your life is going to be like. And secondarily, I say exactly that. Often I say, take your your ambitious travel list and cut it in half, and then get lost. That's the best best experiences you'll have, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. They it, there was some kind of a science that was involved in picking who your co guide was going to be and what your schedule was going to be, and there were all these vans zigzagging all across Europe. I was in France for the most part, which is a really good place to to cut your teeth because French people aren't necessarily known for their flexibility, so. My French vocabulary, although quite good, really quickly began to feature incredible begging words in French.
0: (laughs) So figuring out how to get things done and find things and get resources for your clients and all that.
1: Well, you could not arrive at a restaurant after two o'clock. No one would feed you, no matter how much cash you would give them because they'd be trying to set up dinner. So, And it was really quite astounding, but it also taught you to become respectful and, and taught you that, that there are constraints around things and, and everything always was very well done in, in France. So.
0: It's hard for me to overstate the impact of being a young person. So you're 22 years old, you're responsible for 24 adults, as you mentioned, maybe there's another guide with you or something, but it's hard to to overestimate the the amount of responsibility that you have for those people for their for their safety in the first part but also for their comfort and enjoyment and memories and everything else of their vacation. I mean a, amazing responsibility.
1: Well, George Butterfield was an amazing leader and the whole operation was very much set up around setting people up to win and that's definitely something that has carried over to to Gray and Co and just Having a really solid manual of all the things and all the questions that people would ask you. and and then he often and still always says that you know, people that want to get dressed up in spandex and put a helmet on their head, they, they're just they're kind of fun people to begin with. so yeah. it, it's a, it's a good filter. So in that sense, people were were kind of prepped for for a good time and, and, and knew somewhat what to expect and then everything else was sort of icing on the cake.
0: This has always been my experience too, as a professional guide. I'm just doing it part-time these days, but I reckon 98% of the people who would come on these vacations are open to adventure and are open to a little discomfort and are excited about new experiences and all that. I bet you'd have the same experience.
1: Very much so. And I think think the key to to guiding and and to, to life, whether it's friends or business colleagues, is just, again, that setting up to win and managing expectations and just giving people a really clear picture of how, the day's going to unfold and just giving people control over some of the variables but also making sure that nothing is formulaic and that that there was always that dramatic moment or that that sunset that we arrived at just the right time or that amazing you know farmer that was willing to let us taste the grapes or all those kinds of things was a lot of serendipity layered on top is always a good addition
0: I'm fascinated by these experiences, and and I think almost the accidental experiences are as or more valuable than the planned experiences than the shopping list of things to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, not everybody loves getting lost, but there was something to that. There was that sort of, "Wow, I'm someplace that nobody else is, and I'm really not that far away, and they will find me eventually."
0: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully, right. Exactly. With with or without mobile phones back at that time, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, just to be specific, we, there were two of us. One would be on a bike and one would was in a van. Not that there was any room for people in the van, but yeah, it was, it was all a lot of fun. The other great variable in those days was they never thought that if you guided in the same place twice, that that might make you better at what you were guiding. <laughs> so in that first year, I think I went to Burgundy, the Dordogne, Normandy, Ireland. I mean, it was, I only did, of all the trips that I guided, I only did the same one twice, which did have an amazing effect of keeping everything fresh and new. But talk about a crash course in how to pivot <laughs> and think on your feet.
0: That's fascinating to me. As a river guide, you frequently do the same trip 100 times, right? And, and that's not uncommon at all. But that's amazing to me that they put you in the position to almost explore with your clients while you're there. I mean, you, you probably have an itinerary. You probably have a really good idea where you're headed. But wow, again, the, the responsibility for a, a young 20s-year-old 20, 20 to have to do that and be responsible for these clients, amazing.
1: was funny because there was no power steering on the van that fit 24 bikes inside.
0: (laughs) On these tiny European roads as well, right?
1: (laughs) I ended up with pipes by the end of the season, (laughs) spinning my Porsche around. It was great.
0: Any favorite experiences in France or, or otherwise those first years guiding?
1: I remember that first year doing mostly trips where people would, you know, just buy into set departures. But I do remember one key trip where um, they were extremely well-heeled and influential Americans. And I remember being told to keep dinner warm for one fellow who was in meetings with Gorbachev and Baker,
0: Wow, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which won't mean a lot to a lot of your your folks, but going for a, a private tour of the uh, a chateau in Bordeaux that just nobody ever gets into. It was one of the Grand Cruz and stuff like that. It would be just as amazing today as it was then, but that was quite special.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing your insights about leadership in general. And next I want to pivot to your company, but I just want to encourage parents of young people and young people who might be listening to this. If you have an opportunity to be a guide of almost any kind in your life, in almost any sport or discipline, you're going to get stories like the ones you just shared Carrie you know the places that that no one else gets to go the people that no one else gets to meet the influence that it has on your life and on on who you are as a person i just feel like it was a really formative moment in my life to to become a guide i'm i'm guessing you feel the same
1: Absolutely and again I'm I'm very humbled by this woman at Butterfield and Robinson who she did have a a real secret formula and and a lot of it came down to how people were raised and and sort of their core qualities because we were an incredible tribe and everyone had sort of Motley features but there was a underlying similarity between all of us in terms of everything from manners to enthusiasm to empathy to getting along with each other to being willing to jump into that pond and be the the graceful swan and and we always used to say that at Butterfield but underwater you're just paddling like crazy as I'm sure you know well on the on the rafting trips.
0: Exactly. So one of the central themes of my work here, of my interviews and of my book, is something I'm calling guide ethos. And I really feel as though we have, like you mentioned, a special tribe or a fraternity of folks who were guides almost anywhere who recognize what this notion I'm calling guide ethos is. I wonder if you have any impressions about that too. You've kind of described some of them already, Carrie.
1: Definitely more than a top 10 list, but people that can anticipate needs and have that very very high level of empathy and can really get into the shoes of the people that they're guiding. I, I think that's if I had to pick one thing that would probably be the most important. It's also not a not a great job for somebody who has a big ego <laughs> because you really need a lot of humility and people can smell when you want to be the center of attention. I mean, when you're a guide, you're showing things off. You want to be discreet. You want to be in the background and you wanna facilitate and help people to understand where it is that they are, but then you very much want to push the locals to the forefront.
0: Completely agree. I was listening listening to an interview with a woman I really admire, a fishing guide named April Voki, and she was on Sixty Minute Sports and she's she's a fascinating person. But in this interview, she was suggesting that, you know, the guided experience is about the client. It's not about the guide. It's about the experience that the client will, will get out of this. And, you know, and I, I think in my sport, for example, you'll find some guides who are world-class kayakers and world-class rafters and have done incredible things. But the folks who focus on their clients and who recognize that it's their stories that are the more important ones, not my stories, are the ones who really succeed.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for improving my articulateness <laughs> with respect to that.
0: You know, Carrie, you were the one who mentioned empathy. And if you are listening to most of the most popular business pundits, leadership pundits now on the circuit, Simon Sinek and Tom Peters and Marshall Goldsmith and whoever else, you, Brene Brown, you want to mention any of those folks, they're all talking about empathy. And that's where I see there's this crossover between being a tremendous guide in almost any adventure discipline and being a great leader. That's those are the kinds of things that I think we have to learn, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, when you're taking people out of their own environment, you're also they're likely to feel a loss of control, even a loss of self-esteem potentially, especially when with companies like ours that are are testing people's active abilities, you really want to make sure that they are, first of all, in a situation that they can handle and that they're having a great time, but also that they they really succeed and feel challenged and excited about their performance. You've got to have the, the right people that can massage and set up that experience.
0: So I want to pivot then to to your company, Gray & Co. I read somewhere that you ran your first trips in 2009, and you described that, if I'm right, and you described that as after a 15-year career with Butterfield & Robinson. I'd love to hear how your company came together and just tell us about the background of your firm.
1: Well, I was super privileged to work at Butterfield for as long as I did. I started off as a guide and then after law school decided that working at Butterfield & Robinson would be a whole lot more fun than being a lawyer, although my colleagues wondered how I could ever jump off the the treadmill, which wasn't cool back then. It's a lot cooler now, but I found myself always learning and having fun at Butterfield for a long time, and then the time came for me to do something else, and it was either going to be something along the marketing PR world or else doing great trips. I always loved being a guide. I always came back to to guiding. And while I was at Butterfield, I took care of, in a roundabout way, some of their top travelers. And they were the ones who had private jets and were giving Butterfield and Robinson insights to this crazy, uber affluent world that exists. And I realized that there was an opportunity for even higher end trips than what Butterfield and Robinson was considering. And so I left and I proposed a trip to South Africa to a gentleman and he said, great, give it a try. So in 2009, we went over to South Africa and Tom Brokaw was on the trip, which was a little nerve wracking. Another (laughs) one of my heroes. We're very discreet, but he doesn't mind if we use his name. And we had just a, a wonderful time, and that was the start of it all. One of one of Grey Coast's most coveted guides joined me on that trip, and and has been with me ever since. An Argentinian woman who's phenomenal, multilingual, and has definitely been an integral part of, of Grey and Coast since the start.
0: That's fantastic. I admire Tom Brokaw. He was a quite a serious angler as well, a fly fisherman as well. So I know he's, uh, he's pretty adventure-minded in, in general. This episode of the Leading Steep podcast has just one exclusive sponsor, and it's an easy one for me to tell you about. The Ready State was founded by my friends, former guides and steep leaders themselves, Juliet and Dr. Kelly Starrett. You're going to meet them in a few weeks on this podcast, and you'll be just as enamored with them as I am. Kelly is a world-renowned physical therapist, author, and speaker who's helped athletes with household names from every major sport, including the NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. He's worked with Olympic gold medalists, CrossFit champions, ballet dancers, and the military. You may have seen him on 60 Minutes, Outside Magazine, and in many other outlets. And he's featured in the Tim Ferriss bestsellers, The 4-Hour Body and Tools of Titans. Kelly's created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach at TheReadyState.com. I'm using it myself to get ready for an ambitious year of Class 5 Whitewater. Now, we won't all have access to Kelly the way elite athletes do, but the virtual mobility coach gives you tailored access to find a solution to what ails you. It walks you step by step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve your range of motion, improve performance, and get in prime shape for whatever challenges you've got ahead. If you're in pain, you can pull up a diagram of the human body, click on what hurts, and from there, get a customized regimen to help find relief. If you are working out or playing a sport, Virtual Mobility Coach offers all sorts of pre- and post-exercise mobility sequences for more than 50 activities. Right now, The Ready State is offering Leading Steep listeners like you a discount. First, you can try the Virtual Mobility Coach risk-free for two weeks without paying a penny. If you decide to continue, you can get 10% off using promo code STEEP10. So again, all you have to do is go to the and when you check out, use the discount code STEEP10 to get 10% off for the life of your membership after your 14-day free trial ends. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, The Ready State. I was looking at the profiles of your guides on your website. The website is fabulous by the way, Carrie. It's really impressive and The number of mentions in the press is remarkable, really.
1: We've been super lucky. Thank you. Well, I am very lucky that I did have so many great years at Butterfield, and Butterfield opened up many wonderful doors, and George Butterfield is still a dear friend. And so definitely, I guess it was around 15 years of nurturing great relationships. uh, A lot of people were interested to know which path we ended up taking and, and have been very supportive. So we're, we're very grateful.
0: How do you find your guides, Carrie? I, I, I see your roster of folks who guide your trips or work with you. And you know how do you find these folks and how do you vet them? Do you happen to know them from previous trips at Butterfield or elsewhere? Or how, how do you come about these folks?
1: So Paola, the Argentina reference to, she was actually the top guide at Butterfield for about a decade. She used to be the regional director for Patagonia and she has an unbelievable I mean talk about empathy she gets right into the minds and bodies of the people that she's guiding for and and will do whatever it takes and that's another quality that that we really believe in that you need to tap your most creative she's almost ferocious in her sense of of getting whatever needs to be done and getting it done right, but also keeping relationships and people happy along the way. And oftentimes the things that make the biggest difference to people are not the things you can just buy. (laughs) You know, it's the wisdom and the experience and the forethought of what might please these people and then putting all the pieces together to make it happen. So she's a really special gal. And then we have another handful of people on our team that are almost, uh, we call them sort of guide producers.
0: I saw that. You, yeah, I thought that was fascinating that you call these folks producers as well as guides. I, I don't know that I'd seen that before.
1: The producer side of it has come out of the evolution of our perception of the guiding world back in the day and, and on many trips nowadays when folks come together and sign up for a departure and they don't know each other. The guide takes on a very strong social component, allowing people to get to know one another and setting them up to win socially. Then there's another form of guide that can take place where you have a group of friends or family that already know each other. They are not looking for the entertainment and the social facilitating to the same extent. And what they're looking for is a much more along the lines of a of what a producer does and that's being very discreet working behind the scenes and making sure that everything happens completely effortlessly and seamlessly and both can exist in tandem in the same person on the same trip and again that's where i think guides with a really high emotional intelligence can tell when it's time for them to take more of a starring role or when it's time for them to be completely behind the scenes.
0: Your producer description reminds me of how I think of a great waiter or great wait staff, which is ubiquitous but invisible, right? You know, as they're always there when you need them and filling your glass and creating a great experience, but not interrupting your conversation, not in the way of that really wonderful dining experience.
1: It's interesting that you bring that up because our guide producers, they go so hard from dawn until dusk. One meal, one little (laughs) waiter or waitressing experience is is just part of a massive day of a million details. And our guides tend to be incredibly hardworking people that don't shy away from making sure that not only is Breakfast perfect, but the yoga class before breakfast <laughs> is perfect and it the mats are in the right place and the instructors there and injuries are are talked about ahead of time and everything is just perfect and then the whole rest of the day seamlessly extends
0: and you're delivering these trips around the world I read your profile of one of your guides Carolyn Wary, and if I'm saying her name correctly but another Canadian like yourself you know it looks to me like she's First of all, she's exceptionally well-educated, and second of all, it looks to me like she's guiding all kinds of trips around the world, all over the place.
1: Well, all of our team does guide around the world. All of our trips are intensely researched and experienced. We sleep everywhere, we eat everywhere, we meet every chef, every expert guide, so everything is completely curated and vetted ahead of time. And the whole trip is experienced ahead of time. Some of our clients have security, so sometimes we'll have to do yet another round of everything with them to make sure that they can be discreet and in the know on everything. Carolyn is a, a really special gal. She's multilingual. She's a superb cyclist. But I will say of all the things that, of all of her talents, probably her number one, and she shares this with almost our entire rest of the team, but, but she really sparkles in the sense that she gets along with absolutely everyone. (laughs) doesn't matter what walk of life. And she just brings this glow and the energy. And she's really a communication artist. And I think communicating is again, just a massive piece of the the guiding and, and business puzzle.
0: I'm thrilled you say that too. Uh, the book I'm writing. What I'm finding interestingly is that a lot of the adjectives that describe great leaders and describe great guides begin with the letter C. So I, I am trying to avoid the silly alliteration of everything beginning with the letter C, but you're communicative and you're compassionate and you're collegial and you're collaborative. And, it, and it's just funny the way that you've described that, that Carolyn's towering strength is her ability as a communicator.
1: Well, and to add to your list of of Cs, she's also a phenomenal critical thinker. So oftentimes we have to think about what can go wrong and what (laughs) needs to happen. And she's extremely good at analyzing and thinking on her feet very quickly and very effectively.
0: Making ad hoc decisions, saving a trip, right? Yeah, I know this happens. Again, this is one of the, 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 the strengths that I find in most of the guides I know that you know, we often deal with life and death situations. We often deal with with potentially seriously disruptive situations. And so even in the business world, I find myself usually being more calm than other people when things go sideways, right? And when things go wrong, it sounds like Carolyn and the rest of your guides have that dialed.
1: She's very cool.
0: Yeah, cool. Another C word, right? Yeah, very cool, right? You want to hire cool people, right? People want to be around cool people. I think it's a great way to describe it.
1: And 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 calm.
0: Oh, there I go. Calm. There you go. No, I think I'm telling you, it's uncanny. Most of most of the adjectives I'm finding, it was no no trouble to start to block out chapters just based on words beginning with the letter C. So I think it's fascinating. The other thing that was interesting to me about your producer description too was that at least what I read from your website and what I understand from you is that your adventures, your vacations are perhaps less scripted and less scheduled in some cases. I'm sure you have a list of options there, but my sense is that your very discretionary clients choose to do things at their own pace and at their own in their own way.
1: Yes. So choice and flexibility is a huge part of every gray and co-trip. And There are so many variables that can affect how a day is is going to happen. Weather, wind, especially when you're on bicycles, you know, rain. So what we try and do is make sure that the travelers know there's a, a lot of choice and flexibility built into every day. So that might mean making multiple massage appointments in the afternoon just in case they decide to ride a bit further or having a variety of different Tables booked to make sure that if maybe they want a bistro experience versus a more Michelin star dining experience, or or maybe they just want room service, the sky's the limit. And we also try to review everything that we think will make the day run as well as possible based on the conditions, which is really handy because then the travelers can have a curated list of how things might work out, but then if they choose to deviate, they can. And sometimes that means pretty hilarious conversations like, well, if you decide not to go horseback riding, then you won't be able to do the single malt whiskey tasting as well. But don't worry, (laughs) we can reschedule both of them for another day or two. So it's having those kind of trade-off conversations and keeping people in the loop. People don't want to have unnecessary transfers they want to have really tight seamless logistics and so they they'd rather know what the options are and let them weigh in that's not to say we can't make it happen but it, they appreciate the rationale and the reasoning behind it and and also typically respect the way we curate the the days
0: so your guides are recommending things that may surprise and delight your guests even if it wasn't on their their initial list i am sure
1: yes we like to show off the best of wherever it is that we're in the world. And sometimes people don't know what those things might be, nor do they realize how interesting it is to have a falconry experience. You know, watching a bird that has a little thing on its leg and flies away is, isn't that interesting. But when you meet the swashbuckling handler and are sitting out behind the castle and all the rest of it it's that's where memories are made
0: and the people I always find especially in those getting lost experiences that we focused on earlier on that's I think where the where the really rich color lives to me I think these these are such amazing experiences just getting to meet people even if you don't share a language even if you need a translator even if you don't have a translator I think those are the richest experiences
1: well I think getting lost has evolved too since 1990 Getting lost was was pretty lost back then nowadays.
0: <laughs> it was really lost, yeah. Yeah, you know, like having to ask directions, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Getting lost means, you know, being in a place where there's no Uber. And I think to your point, I think people are increasingly loving that sense of being somewhere so exclusive and private that you may feel lost. But the flip side of that is that the world has evolved to the point too where people really like to be connected.
0: One of the things I enjoyed from your website was where you described some kind of trends for adventure in 2021 around things like longer stays, focus and flexibility. You've talked a lot about the great outdoors. I was really pleased to see North America on the list, right? Fewer people are flying and more folks are RVing, I guess, this year in any case. But one of the things that I really was inspired by was your multi-generational and multi-family trips. I thought that these kinds of trips sounded amazing to me, kind of dreamy.
1: We love multi-generational trips, again, because we're so passionate about choice and flexibility. We do see a trend in a lot of celebrations and reunions post-COVID and, and ideally people staying for longer and settling in and, and being a little bit more aware of where they are and enjoying it more. The cool thing with multi-generational for us is that we have multiple trips happening within the same day. So depending on the ages of the kids... The morning times oftentimes we will go off and do a kid adventure, and that leaves the parents to go off and do a great bike ride, whereas grandma and grandpa might want to sleep in or go for a hike. But nobody wants to miss out on anything, so everyone's usually back together by lunchtime, and everyone's got something different to talk about, and the days just evolve with a really nice, natural, quality time between all the generations and everybody doing whatever it is that makes them happy and keeps them learning and moving and eating and sleeping and just having really wonderful times together. And one of the fun things about that is that oftentimes grandma and grandpa are way better cyclists than <laughs> the kids, <laughs> the the 30 or 40 somethings that are working so hard, they never get a chance to get out on the the road or the trail to keep up their fitness and just seeing the interactions between the generations for us is really fulfilling.
0: The focus is typically for your firm on cycling, I guess, but but it seems to me like you're doing a little bit of everything as well.
1: We do love cycling, but we, we also love all sports and including paddling. We love having kayaks and oftentimes we'll, we did a great float, great river down in Patagonia, not that long ago with families and they had an absolute blast. So we're, we're definitely, we've gravitated towards, we call them active trips, but more, we still do more biking trips than anything else. And we do cater to a, a wide variety of, of bikers. And biking is really interesting too, because now the e-bikes have come along. And so that's a great, helps level out the playing field.
0: Wow. Able to extend your mileage for the day and, and balance out the, the fitness levels between your folks.
1: The fun thing with that too, is that it, e-bikes are so much bigger and heavier. So operationally, that means different vehicles and (laughs) charging stations and things like that. So it keeps things new and fresh and fun. It's great to have e-bikes. It's funny because men usually overestimate their abilities and women tend to underestimate their abilities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not uncommon, right? Which I think is one of the things that that makes women good leaders as well and better leaders. I, I was speaking with a friend of mine about his river company and he was saying that he gets five times, eight times as many applications from women as he does for men for guiding roles. And he says, and Barry, I think they're better guides.
1: Women are pretty phenomenal. I, we have men who work with us, but it does end up coming back to a core group of women.
0: Well, and I think more empathic too, right? I hate generalizing, but women tend to be more empathic, more empathetic than men.
1: Yeah. I I hesitate to stereotype because I think that, everyone is capable of being a phenomenal guide. And oftentimes, because we are female heavy as a company, we end up sometimes working more often with locals that end up being guys. We worked with a fabulous guy in New Zealand in February who really complemented our skill set. So Paul was everything that we weren't in the sense that he was a really hardcore heli hiker and uh, was very comfortable in, you know, really remote settings and had incredible ties with all the, the helicopter pilots. So he knew exactly where to tell them to land. And that kind of really precise expert knowledge was perfect for us to, to be matched with.
0: Fantastic. Carrie, the clientele that you serve are most often people of means who can travel virtually anywhere, have the resources to do almost anything they want. In many cases, maybe even have private jets of their own. Where are you seeing hotspots around the world? Where do these people most want to go right now?
1: This is a tough moment in time. If you had asked me last May whether or not where we would be right now, even being a cautious conservative Canadian, I thought we would be farther ahead than we are. I think in the near future, people are going to gravitate towards countries that have done and continue to do a good job of really keeping their countries as safe as possible. So, yes, in a place like New Zealand, Tahiti's done a very good job. Some of the islands in the Caribbean have been very conservative. You've got places like Iceland, Scandinavia, I don't think in the long run that favorites like Spain and Italy are going to be damaged by what's happened to them because they will bounce back. And they they were unfortunately thrown into the, the forefront of it all. But the world offers just so many great places for people to explore, depending on their comfort zones and their curiosity and It'll be interesting to see moving forward how the travel experience evolves. I think in the short term, people will gravitate towards more smaller places that have managed through this whole pandemic a a bit more easily by virtue of their population size and their geography. Places like New Zealand, Iceland, they have low densities. But a lot of our travel ends up being in remote places anyways, (laughs) because that's where the great biking and the hiking tends to be. I mean, I don't see our roster changing much. People will always wanna go to Argentina and Chile and explore Patagonia and the vineyards and the beaches in Uruguay and the temples in Peru and the rainforests in Ecuador and the Galapagos. You know, The Darwinian aspects of the Galapagos never cease to amaze everybody. And then you look at South Africa, it's got everything in one country, wonderful place to do safari lights with the big 5 and so many luxurious lodges and hotels and service levels and up and coming places like rwanda zambia botswana africa's just so full morocco and then europe is is a gigantic playground for active travel so many wonderful hiking trails and lots of up and coming places like slovenia georgia's on people's mind <laughs> And then when you look at North America, I think this last past year, people have been amazed at how much there is to see so close to home. I would love for the national parks in America to be better. I've done a lot of exploring. The natural wonders are incredible, but I think there's room for improvement in the, in the accommodation side of things.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think one of the big themes too has been prior to COVID had been sort of over tourism and these places being impacted. I mean, just the city of Paris, for example, or, or other places that just gets so densely tourized, right, and visited by so many other folks. I, I feel like maybe the pandemic has pumped the brakes a little bit on on that and might lighten some of the traffic up in some of these
1: places. Well, I think that's going to happen anyways, because I think it's going to take a long time for commercial aviation to catch up. So there's not going to be that $50 flight from, you know, LA to Norway or anywhere. So, and hopefully countries have learned and will take better care of of places. And even the internet is also another way to allow people to get tickets ahead of time, or there has to be better management of that. But it it will probably creep back because there are some places that are just so amazing that people will, won't will be able to stay away.
0: Well, the nice thing about about your situation, though, I mean, this may almost be the golden age of what you do, which is private and exotic vacations to almost anywhere people want to go, and they don't necessarily have to see those tourized spots. I mean, they're not going to be able to go to the markets of Marrakech, for uh, for example, just because of the crowd density, but they can certainly go to the wildlands of of Chile, as you mentioned, right?
1: Yeah, and I think too that there are ways to still get to the kasbah. You know, we've done trips in Cambodia, for example, and it's amazing if you're willing to get up a little bit earlier, <laughs> and if you're amazed, and if you're willing to get on a bicycle and go to Angkor Wat, and then go the opposite way of the buses. I mean, Angkor Wat has hundreds of temples, and most people only see five. So even in really compelling, amazing destinations, there's a way to do it differently. And, and that's what we pride ourselves on, is, is doing it differently and potentially more creatively. And one of the things we have to be super careful about with the level of traveler that we cater to is, is that privacy and, and discretion piece of the puzzle. So you'll never see us posting on Instagram when we're anywhere near our trips taking place. We have to really be careful with that. And we also work really hard with our suppliers, whether they're restaurants or hoteliers or drivers, that whole privacy and discretion piece of the puzzle is, is a reason why people travel with us. Turn the lights on.
0: Pivoting back to your thoughts about the folks who got you into guiding and the people that you admired, I'd love to hear some stories about those folks, about your mentor at at Butterfield and the other guides that you'd worked with as well, the folks who who got you into this whole thing at at an early age.
1: Well, when I think of George Butterfield, who also still loves to guide, he had two guiding principles that he would rely upon heavily. One was take the manual per se, the guiding manual they'd give you read it, and then throw it out the window, which I thought was very empowering.
0: And communicating there to be yourself really is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah. Put your own interpretation on what your particular group of travelers wants to do. Then they always used to give us what was called the wow fund. And it would be, again, a significant amount of money. And maybe it was, if they loved great wine, we'd spend it on wine. Or if they loved music, we'd find some gypsies and have them come to the picnic or so it was always that there was also a bit of a competition as to who would come up with the most amazing wow spend the other great comment that george would make was you know if there's a bunch of dogs fighting over some bones in a corner go find your own bone (laughs) which sounds really simplistic but it's it's a great analogy just go and find something different and maybe better but Just, you know, get beyond the fray and go off and do it differently.
0: I think it's a really important phrase. I think I was always convinced that people wanted to go back to the office on Monday or when they finished their vacation and describe what a unique experience they had, right? So find your own bone, I think, makes a a lot of sense. They don't want to do the cookie cutter thing that everybody else wants to do, right?
1: Yeah, and I have to say that there's a third, and that was a tagline that the, the company has. It's slow down to see the world, which is all the... It's such a timeless slogan and all the more important now after COVID, where we all have a renewed appreciation for the smallest details, a lot of which we've been <laughs> deprived of, whether it's the perfect bowl of pasta in Italy or, you know, an incredible tapas in Spain.
0: One of the things too that I find interesting, I'm sure with your trips is that the trip in and of itself, of course, is the adventure and the experience, but I always find too that preparing for it and anticipating it and researching it and studying it and then enjoying photos and videos and everything after the experience is so great too.
1: Yeah. I have a great sister that often times at a minute's notice will come and join me on a crazy research trip or something. I'm, I'm not a very, I love traveling with people and Oftentimes, the pace will be so fast and furious that she'll often say to me, will you please remind me what it was that we did when I, when I get home? <laughs> so that's the flip side of the, the work component. And that, again, that gets back to the, the guiding ethos. You really, you need to have stamina. <laughs> you know, whether my daughter got to Madagascar or my sister survived, you know, six days in India, three cities and all the rest of it, it's it's all in a day's work. And guiding is not for people that need a whole lot of me time or downtime, or (laughs) they need to have that insatiable curiosity that will really give them an incredible black book or Rolodex of experiences to draw upon and people.
0: I was thinking about your guides and for the fact that it sounds like a super elite experience to guide with Gray and Co. Fascinating places and and really discreet clients and and you know exotic locations, but at the same time, as you mentioned earlier, it a 24-hour it's a twenty four hour job. It's a lot of stress potentially, and and you got to be really pretty buttoned up to make these experiences happen in the right way.
1: Well, and things can go south. It's those experiences or those meals or those lodges where. Everything just seems to be so perfect that end up going so incredibly pear-shaped. And that's where the guiding experience is, is so integral to know how to respond to that, to know how to communicate that to the client, to figure out what to salvage, figure out what to eliminate or to move on or make those calls in the moment. It's a really big piece of the puzzle.
0: Remaining cool and calm and figuring out an alternative. We, in the rafting world, we would joke about forgetting the bread. Who forgot the bread, right? You get halfway down the river. It's not like you're dropping into the store. But it's a sandwich day and nobody brought the bread. So we know how that goes wrong.
1: There are some really other crucial aspects of executing great travel experiences for people. Safety is definitely one that we take extremely seriously. All of our guides need to be trained and defibrillators use and first aid and that also extends to being very familiar with the hospitals and I think post-COVID this is going to be more of a concern for people not just what hospital but what room in the hospital and what doctor at the hospital and those are the kinds of levels of details that are going to be more relevant moving forward. Yeah the training and also the just having the time to sort out all those specific medical elements in each destination that that's as important as figuring out the restaurants and hotels and all the rest of that. We need to make sure that that clients are really comfortable and that we do that kind of risk assessment thoroughly so that they realize what it is that they're getting themselves into. Another aspect of guiding that we take very seriously well is just being a really great team player and being super respectful. We love going back to places and we think about that really long and hard. And sometimes our clientele can be very determined and want certain things. And we always need to be able to execute with uh, respect and, and grace and humility and remembering that we want to be back and In places like Japan, it's so important. (laughs) Everywhere we go, respecting local cultures and doing things the right way is very, very important to us. And we approach everywhere that we go with setting people up to win and getting to know the locals well enough to know how to do that as effectively as possible.
0: Carrie, it feels like this would be a great place for us to wrap up. I want you to know how impressed I am with your business, with the elite service that you offer, the places you go. And I think most especially with your guide producers who I'm certainly gonna add to my list of people to interview.
1: Oh, they would be equally flattered and I'm sure have plenty of their own stories to tell.
0: Carrie, congratulations on your wonderful business. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Talk to you soon. I think you'll have to agree. Carrie Gray has built an extraordinary business. She had a vision, she worked herself up from the very front lines and she's built something pretty exceptional. I look forward to interviewing some of her unique guide producers in the future as well. Given what they do and who they serve, I can't imagine many guides working much harder. Carrie's strategy in hiring exceptionally qualified people focusing on character and their emphasis on doing the right things by their local hosts, these are just more things to admire about the business she's built. I hope you learned as much as I did. Find Carrie's website at grayandco.ca. She's a Canadian, so she uses the CA suffix, that's gray, G-R-A-Y and co.ca. This is the first month for our podcast, Leading Steep, and your feedback has been so gracious and so kind. I'm thrilled you like the show so far, and I'm glad my voice isn't wearing on you just yet. I'm really looking forward to sharing the conversations ahead. I'm meeting some fascinating people like Carrie and her neighbor, Richard bangs, who introduced me. Please reach out with your ideas. It's Barry at LeadingSteep.com, or find our Facebook conversation group leading steep fireside. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If your podcast platform allows that my show credits for leading steep are short. I write and record this show myself. My wife, Angie tells me what's working and what's not. I work with some wonderful production folks at usehatch.fm and I use a great tool for remote interviews called squadcast.fm. Locally, I use a free tool called Audacity for editing and recording. Thank you so much for listening to the Leading Steep podcast. I'm Barry Cruz, and I hope to see your vision turn unicorn one day too.